Welcome to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast featuring Pastor Mark Miner, where we will journey together to help you grasp how the Bible fits together to provide a coherent, understandable, and historical book. The purpose of this podcast is not to convince, but to help you understand. Not to defend, but to connect the dots of this most amazing book. Not to debate, but to discover the plan of the Bible. There is a plan. If you enjoy what you hear today, please leave us a review. It really does help us. And now, here's Pastor Mark. And welcome today to another exciting broadcast episode. I've always wanted to do that. I don't know if it's exciting. I listened to myself the other day and thought my voice really sounds flat and I didn't have much enthusiasm. So I'm going to be a little more enthusiastic perhaps today as uh, we talk about what is enthusiastic or generates enthusiasm in me. And that's the whole idea of Christ coming to earth, the whole concept of what we know of uh, as Christmas. And so episode 62 today is, is entitled Connecting the Dots of Christmas. Uh, so I, I do hope you learn some things as we talk about in this episode of the 24-Minute Bible Podcast, helping you to understand the Bible and how it all fits together. Uh, and so when we start talking about connecting the dots, it's something that I say quite often. It really is important to realize that there are dots. I used to sit in church. I was bored. Didn't have parents there. I'd sit on the front or second row. I'm sure I drove the, the pastors crazy because I wasn't paying attention much. I did enjoy the music. The sermons were eh, sometimes. But most of the time I would play dots. Do you remember those dick games? And you would connect the dots. And when you got everything together, you go, oh, there's a picture. Well, it's the same way with the Bible. When we connect the dots, uh, at some point we step back and go, okay, I see the image now. And so that's what we're going to do today, specifically in regard to the whole issue of the coming of Christ, what we commonly call Christmas. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I also noticed I coughed quite a bit or cleared my throat. So uh, <clears throat> just part of who I am, I guess, as well. But uh, welcome to this episode. L let, me, let me address three things concerning the whole issue of understanding the Bible and connecting the dots. Uh, there are many biblical events. Christmas is just one of them. It's what we're going to look at today. But there are many biblical events that when we understand the connections and then we step back and we see the, the big picture, the image, we go, aha, now it makes sense to me. And there's, there's three sort of concepts, if you will, or understandings. Uh, one of them we need to understand as we talk about connecting the dots, that there is a relationship of one thing to another. Uh, and just truly in, in the regard to human, humanity, we need to understand the relationships of people. Uh, we need to understand, for example, uh, the relationship of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, Sarah was Abraham's half-sister. Uh, so uh, when he's talking to her and, and talking about her to a king of Egypt in Genesis, and he says, that's my sister. Well, he wasn't totally lying. He was afraid, but he was, he was half correct. And uh, you see that all through the Bible. Or, of course, the relationship of Ruth uh, in the Bible. Uh, why is she there? She's not even a Jew. She's a Moabite. But she's going to be the great-great-grandmother of King David. And so as we understand the relationships, uh, it, it truly helps us. So that's one important thing. Uh, I've had that happen even here at our church. I was talking to somebody, found out they were from an area where my family was originally from. We got to talking, and we think we might be related. You know, and there's kind of a kindred spirit when you sense that there's, there's some kind of biology there that you didn't suspect. So that's point number one or concept number one. 
things, how people are related to each other. And there's quite a bit of that within uh, the Bible, within the scripture. Secondly, we're going to talk or just kind of weave into the Christmas story the idea of chronology. Uh, that uh, people are in the same time at the same place. We read about individuals, and sometimes, uh, for example, we don't realize that maybe uh, Daniel was a contemporary of uh, Alexander. He actually quite wasn't quite a uh, contemporary of Alexander the Great, but we're in the same time frame. He was a contemporary of Aristotle, and uh, <clears throat> so we under in Plato. So we when we begin to put those two people together in those uh, situations together, same time, same place, uh, then, you know, again, that's exciting. It helps us to understand the bigger picture, and that, that weaves much through the scriptures. Uh, one of my favorites is to realize when you start doing the chronologies that when God called Abraham, uh, Shem, who was one of the, uh, had booked the cruise on the SS Noah's Ark, he was still alive on planet Earth when God is calling Abraham. So they were contemporaries. And when we start seeing contemporaries, then uh, it helps us to understand a little bit more. So in the same time, in the same place, that's point number two or understanding number two. And the third understanding I would just give you today is that one thing begats another or gives way to another. There are foundations that, that God lays that are part of your life that sometimes we don't understand until we're a little older and we look back and we go, my goodness, what, what a profound situation. It may be how you met your spouse, perhaps, or it may be a, a friend that you had no idea and you just connected in some way and the dots connected perhaps to this very moment. I, I think about our church here and I was invited uh, to a, a dinner. I wasn't a, a pastor. I wasn't anything involved with this church, but this pastor kept inviting me to come to this dinner he was having and really wanted myself, my wife to come. We came out of obligation, not out of any uh, desire or predestination or purpose. We just came because he wouldn't leave us alone. Uh, after a while, we began to work with some of the children here, the youth group, if you will. I became uh, not the youth director, but I was basically the one who worked with the kids and built up a youth group. And uh, that was going on for some time. And then the pastor left uh, the church. And when the pastor left, uh, the committee, the pulpit committee, we used to call them, then called me and, and said, hey, would you fill in until we find a new pastor? And that was decades ago now. Uh, and I'm still here. I, I guess they're still looking for a new pastor because we haven't hired anybody yet. But I had no intention of being a pastor. I just came because the guy wouldn't leave me alone uh, about coming to this dinner that he wanted me to come to. And now I see decades later how much God was in that invitation and in his persistence. So one thing gives way to another, and we just don't realize how often that happens in our own lives and in the Bible. So today we're going to talk about the connections, uh, some of these ideas or concepts in the whole plan uh, of Christmas, how God has a plan, how he establishes relationships, and how he inserts events at key times in history, because God isn't above history. God is in the history. Now, he is beyond history, but he inserts himself and he inserts us into the history and the cultural context that we have. So we shouldn't be surprised at that. He lays foundations for the future. He's doing that right now in your life and in my life. So we're going to talk about today the wise men as we think about Christmas. We always think about the wise men, or at least I do. They're very interesting, uh, where they came from, how they got here, what their purposes. We're going to talk about them. We're going to talk about the safe haven of Egypt 
It was the place of retreat and the place where Joseph and Mary could go to to find safety for some period of time. We're going to talk about Rome uh, and the prophetic purpose of Rome, and then we're going to end out talking about uh, the shepherds and the sign of the Lamb. So uh, I just want to, the whole purpose of today's episode is to help you put Christmas together in a little bit better context biblically. Uh, <clears throat> we're going to talk about the wise men to start off with. In all probability, the crash or the manger scene that you have is probably not biblical in the sense that the wise men and the shepherds probably never met each other. They weren't there at the manger at the, at the same time. In fact, the wise men probably never were at the manger. If you read in the book of Matthew, it says that they came to the house where Jesus was staying, but uh, where the baby Jesus was. But regardless, don't want to blow your stereotypes. You enjoy Christmas all you want. Watch those Hallmark movies. Enjoy it. Whatever you want to do. But understand from a biblical standpoint, we're talking now about the wise men uh, that came to the to see the Christ child. I'm going to suggest to you, and that's all it is, there are people who definitely disagree with me, but I'm going to call them the wise men of Persia because I do believe they came from the east. They came from Persia. There are people who believe that they came from Saudi Arabia, which would be a little more from the south than from the east. There's some reason for that. There was gold and frankincense and myrrh in Saudi Arabia, and so it would make sense that they would bring those kind of gifts when they came. But I think there's a, a real strong possibility and a suggestion in Scripture that the wise men came from what we would call today Persia or Iran and Iraq in that Mideast area, the same area where Abraham came from, by the way. But why the Magi or these wise men from the East? We don't know what the numbers were. We always see three because there are three gifts. But we really don't know how many wise men, probably more than three. It would, uh, if they came from Persia, that's a 850, about a thousand mile journey as they take the, uh, the logical way. Um, probably wouldn't be traveling alone that kind of a distance. But regardless, uh, the Magi did come. And I, I believe they came from Persia. Uh, and next week, we're going to be talking about the stars of the Bible. The Bible's full of stars. And so I'm not going to speak tremendously uh, about the star of Bethlehem, other than to say that the wise men were attracted to come to this place by the star that they saw in the sky, and also the prophecies that they read. And here's why I believe that the wise men were probably from Persia. If you think about the Bible, and I know some of you have been with me for, for over a year now on this journey, and so we've talked about numerous times in the historical context how uh, at the destruction of the first temple, there was a wave of people, the Jews, the tribe of Judah, that was taken to Babylon. You remember Nebuchadnezzar. You remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All of them were taken to Persia. And, and so much of the context that's setting up the return or the coming, excuse me, not the return, but the coming of Jesus has to do with uh, prophecies that are coming out of, from people who are in Persia. For example, Daniel served under four or five different Persian leaders. He was well-known, incredibly respected, had a long political career in the State Department of Babylon and Persia later on. So there's Daniel, there's Ezekiel. His entire book was written by the river Kabar, which is in, in uh, Iran today. 
And so Ezekiel's whole book comes from Persia. We have Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. My friend, that wasn't just a waiter. That was a very trusted position. You sip the wine first, and if you didn't die, then the king would drink the wine because of so much treachery and poisoning and things uh, to eliminate uh, royal families within the context of a castle or a palace. So the wine bearer, um, the cupbearer, was a trusted, trusted individual. That was Nehemiah. And, of course, we see all the things that Nehemiah was able to do because he had, quote, the king's ear. Uh, then, then we have Ezra, who also uh, came from Persia and was able to help with establishment of uh, the reestablishment of the Jewish religion. So all these things are happening between 600 and 400 B.C. in that 200-year period. There's an incredible amount of, of, of history and activity going on with the Jews in Persia. Now, I've left out the last book or one other book that's vitally important, and that's the book of Esther. And I want to just reference two or three things here, why I believe that the wise men were from Persia and why the dots were connected there. Because as we understand, uh, the Jews were in Persia. They were taken into captivity, but they settled there and they lived there. And, and uh, even though many of them came back with, Neb with uh, Nehemiah and Ezra, there still was a strong contingent of Jewish representation. And that Jewish representation was very positive. And here's one of the reasons why it was positive. We find out in Esther chapter 2, verse 22, uh, a Jew by the name of Mordecai, that would be Esther's uncle, uh, actually saved the king. He heard of a plot to kill the king, and we read about this in uh, Esther uh, 2.23. And he went and told the king, and the king honored him. And, and uh, those uh, the ones that were plotting the uh, espionage were put to death, and Mordecai uh, was uh, honored in a sense. Then one night we read about in, Exodus, in Esther 6.1, that the king couldn't sleep. And so he got up and he ordered some of the books to be brought. And this is another point with the Persians. The Persians kept, kept excellent records. And so they had recorded all the things. And as uh, the reader read to the king who couldn't sleep, his insomnia was acting up that night, he read to him about Mordecai who had saved his life. And so he said, what has been done for Mordecai? And nothing much had been done, so he honored him and, and, and recognized him. Again, you can read about this in, uh, in the book of Esther. And then Esther 10.3, it says that Mordecai was second only to the king as far as his power and his authority. Now, my point is all this is that there's an incredible amount from Daniel, who was respected, Nehemiah, who was respected, Mordecai, who saved the king's life and was second in power in this Persian uh, kingdom. And, and these Persians kept records. They had books. Uh, they read the Old Testament because they were aware of it. Of course, Esther was a Jew, and so the Old Testament was her Bible, her book. And so that was a part of the records. So let's fast forward to approximately 0 A.D., the birth of Christ. And we read in Matthew uh, of these uh, men, these wise men, these magi, and they come and they say, we have seen his star in the east. And so you can begin to connect the dots that, that first of all, the Persians were stargazers. They were part of a religious, many of them were part of a religious uh, uh, belief system called Zoroastrianism, 
which is uh, heavily impacted uh, in even in Jewish uh, religions with uh, some of the Pharisees and Sadducees, uh, a very strong representation there. But they were very much into watching the stars, into uh, the signs. They actually coded a number of what we would call astrology today, some of the, the zodiac signs. Uh, they were very much into that, but, but they weren't so much astro astrologers as they were astronomers. They were studying the stars, and they had the record the record from actually from the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 24, a, a prophecy of a man by the name of Balaam, you might remember him, who said that a star would rise in Judah. And they knew about that. And so they made that journey, that thousand mile journey, uh, eventually ending up there in Jerusalem and Bethlehem where the Christ child was. Now, my point is, connect the dots and you realize that, that one thing begat another begat another. And God had set all of this up for the wise men to come. And then we might even say, well, why did they have to come? Was it just something God wanted them to do? Was it just a way of recognizing and honoring that the birth of the Christ child had taken place by these kings coming from the east? Well, that may have been part of it. But let's go to point number two, which is the safe haven of Egypt. The safe haven of Egypt. Now, we know Egypt is a, an enemy. We read about that in the book of Exodus, of course, and, and uh, all of the things that take place there to the Pharaoh. But Egypt was also a place of safe haven where the children of, of Israel, many of them stayed. And certainly during the period of Christ's life or his birth, uh, there were hundreds of thousands of Jews living in Egypt. I was watching The Chosen, that marvelous uh, creation that uh, I've referenced a couple of times, Dallas Jenkins, uh, and <clears throat> they've got uh, episode season one and season two and just about to finish up on season three, I believe, to be released soon. But in season one, episode six, uh, Jesus is walking down the road there in Capernaum and he encounters this Egyptian lady. She's got, of course, she's darker skin. She has her jewelry on that would denote that she was probably from Egypt, not probably Jewish. And Jesus begins to speak to her in Egyptian. I had never thought about that before. And at first I thought, that can't be right, but that's exactly right. Jesus grew up in his formative years, his language learning years. He grew up in Egypt. And so it would only make sense that Jesus could speak Egyptian to this Egyptian lady. So uh, we know the story. Joseph and Mary had to go somewhere. They had to escape. Uh, Herod's uh, tirade had turned, in, had turned deadly, and uh, he'd issued the order to massacre all the male children of Bethlehem under two years old. Of course, you know that story. Uh, the population of Bethlehem at that time was probably around 300 people. So as we talk about the massacre, we're probably talking about 10 or so young boys under the age of two that were killed. It's tragedy, but and, and I'm not belittling it in any way, shape, or form uh, to lose your child and for Herod to have done that. Uh, but it wasn't hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands. It, it probably was uh, somewhere around 10 to a dozen children whose, whose lives were lost because of this edict. Um, so we understand that, but Joseph and Mary had to go somewhere. And so they were warned in a dream, Joseph was, to escape. Made the 300-mile journey south and west around the, the horn of the Mediterranean Sea to end up in Egypt. As I've already referenced, there were 
hundreds of thousands of Jews, a, a strong Jewish population there in different cities. Some people have suggested that it was uh, the, an island in the southern part of Egypt called the Elephantine Island, where there is and was a, a strong Jewish population. Others have said Alexandria is perhaps where uh, Joseph and Mary went, part of the land of Goshen still. Uh, regardless of where they where the, exactly they went, they were in Egypt for a period of time. Uh, how long? It could have been months. Probably was more like years. Anything from two years to five, six years, depending on how you calculate that. Not the point of our discussion today. But understand that Jesus spent the formative years of his early childhood um, as a foreigner in a foreign country. Uh, learning the customs there, or at least being immersed in the possibility of learning those customs. So when we connect the dots, we see that God had prepared a safe haven there in Egypt and that uh, Jesus uh, and Joseph and Mary's mother and father had a place to go. And God does that for us. He continues to do that, but he certainly, we see that in the uh, Christmas story. Uh, just a couple other things. The, the prophetic purpose of Rome you know, we think about Rome, it was, it's huge, it was powerful, it was wicked and strong in so many ways, but uh, there was a reason, and there's even a question, if you will, um, if we're looking at things from a prophetic way. Joseph and Mary were residents of Nazareth. Nazareth is 75 miles north of Bethlehem, and yet the book of Micah Chapter 5, verse 2 is very specific that the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. Were he born in Nazareth or Capernaum or even Jerusalem, he would have not been the Messiah. So how do you get Joseph and this pregnant lady, young lady, Mary, uh, his wife now, how do you get them to Bethlehem? Enter Caesar Augustus. And again, this is how God weaves in history and people. Uh, Caesar Augustus had no uh, knowledge of the prophecy. He could have cared less. He certainly didn't care about Israel. There was no wealth, power, or, or glory there. Uh, so none of the things he did had anything to do with a, a spiritual reasoning. But he issued, as uh, Luke chapter 2 tells us, he issued a, a royal edict that the world would be taxed and everybody had to go to their home place, their hometown, where their birth certificate, if you will, was. Well, Joseph had to return to Bethlehem because he was of the tribe of Judah. And so Joseph and, of course, now his wife Mary make the journey to Bethlehem all because there was an idea that entered in the mind of Caesar Augustus uh, and God knew about that. Isaiah's prophecies were written around 700 B.C., so 700 years before Joseph and Mary needed to get to Bethlehem with a little urging from the Roman government. Uh, <clears throat> God knew who was going to be the, uh, the Caesar and placed in a mind that hadn't even been formed yet and a body that hadn't even been formed yet, the concept, the idea that uh, they needed to get to Bethlehem. And so all of the planning has God lays the, the foundations. You connect the dots and you begin to see how God gets people and situations to happen miraculously in many ways, sometimes in just a very logical step-by-step uh, -step sort of way. 
Uh, prophecy still going on, if I can just take a moment here. Uh, today, as I sit here at this, at this microphone, the prophecies of the Bible are vibrating. Right now, China, uh, the kings of the East, as the book of Revelation says, is on the verge of doing something we've just come out of or we're trying to come out of a pandemic that originated in China. So we've got plagues coming at us. But China's getting ready to attack probably Taiwan. And uh, that makes it interesting for the United States. States of America. We also have the big bear from the north uh, of uh, Meshach and Tubal, which is Russia, according to Ezekiel and Revelation. And Russia is rattling its sabers, and Putin is getting ready perhaps to come into the Ukraine. And what will the United States do then? Well, we don't know, and I'm not in the White House, or I'm not in the Congress, so we don't really know what's going to happen. But so many of the prophecies, even today, that we read in the scripture, uh, God has set in motion years ago. Well, let me close out with the shepherds, the sign, shepherd's sign of the lamb. Uh, the angels appear to these shepherds. They're out in their fields at night. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 8 says, And there were shepherds living out in their fields nearby, watching over their flocks at night. And then an angel, of course, appears to them and, and tells them something amazing is going to happen. Don't be afraid. Good news uh, for today in the town of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. Okay, that's great. How are we going to know who he is? And then here's the sign, Luke 2, 12. This shall be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth. Now, swaddling cloth is just pieces of, of uh, cotton, maybe linen, that uh, you would take. And the shepherds were very familiar with this when they, they were out in the fields because the sheep were birthing. And they had to be very close to the sheep because when the mother ewes gave birth to the baby lamb, they had to get there. They had to uh, warm it. They wrapped it in cloth. They brought it in usually to a grotto, to a cave, to keep it warm and alive. And they laid it in a manger, a feeding trough, because these sheep were very precious to them, not just because of the economic value, but because these very sheep were someday going to be taken from Bethlehem, where they were born. And they were going to be led uh, to Jerusalem where they were going to be sacrificed for the sins at Passover time, the sins of the nation Israel. And so they found the baby wrapped in swaddling cloth. It made all the sense in the world to them because their babies, their little lambs were wrapped in swaddling cloth. And they understood the import of it all, that this baby that was born was eventually going to end up in Jerusalem, just like their sheep were. And that, that those sheep were going to be sacrificed for the sins, the Passover offering. But this one sinless, spotless, without spot or blemish Lamb of God was going to be sacrificed in the same place, in the same way, for the sins, not only of the nation Israel, but of the entire world. So no wonder that the angelic choir burst into song as they surrounded these shepherds uh, singing and praising God and glory to God in the highest. And uh, angels we have heard on high, we'll sing a song of that. We'll sing a chorus of that maybe later on, not today. But uh, you see the picture there, how God connects the dots to put things together. Well, next week we're going to talk about the stars of the Bible, not just the star uh, that we understand at Christmas time, but all the stars, because the heavens are declaring the glory of God. And the Bible is full of imagery and uh, clues, if you will, prophetic words that speak of or even hinge upon 
these stars that God has spread out across the sky in the universe. Hey, thank you for being a part today. I hope uh, connecting the dots of Christmas has been helpful to you to sort of understand how the Bible fits together, how it uh, has layer upon layer, how the relationships matter. And so next week, uh, we'll be looking at the stars of the Bible. Thank you so much for being a part. Have a blessed day. Thank you so much for listening to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and look forward to continuing this journey to understanding the Bible, please subscribe to the channel. And if you would be so kind, please share it with your friends who might enjoy it as well. Join us next week with Mark Miner for another episode as we continue to explore how the Bible so beautifully fits together. May you have a blessed week and may God be glorified in your lives.